Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marts and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is episode number 60. My God, episode 60. I've done this 59 times before, and right now, as you hear my voice, I am I am in the middle. I am right at the beginning of my 60th effort. That's crazy. A lot of episodes. And not only is it a lot of episodes, but it is an episode that is divisible by 10. And those of you, those of you who are loyal listeners of this show know that I have strong feelings about episodes that are divisible by 10. Because it's those episodes that I feel, I feel like they always represent something of a benchmark. And that when they, when they come about, I feel like I should, I need to do something special. I feel like those episodes should somehow reflect the occasion of a, of a, of a given benchmark. Now this week's episode, which again is episode sixty, it 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 just so happens that I have a whole lot on my mind this week. And I'm gonna talk about it for the next hour or so. Uh but chiefly what's on my mind is publishing. Because that's what I do. I'm a publisher. Specifically, I'm an independent publisher. I am the founder and the owner and the uh the president the ceo whatever whatever i i don't i i haven't actually given myself an official title but at the very least i am the founder of cannibal press and through cannibal press i i publish my work and so the the first bit of publishing i did under under the umbrella of cannibal press was my debut novel, Inside the Outside. And I published Inside the Outside on July 9th, 2011. That was four years ago, July 9th, 2011. Now, I don't have any specific memories about that exact day, July 9th, 2011. And uh, if it weren't for Amazon, who keeps track of those dates where I could just go check the actual date. I wouldn't even remember the exact date. I know that I published the book in 2011, and I know that I did it during the summer, and I generally think of it as being published in, you know, July slash August. But, you know, for the sake of pinning down a, pinning down a date, July 9th, 2011. And the reason I've been thinking about publishing so much, especially lately is because I'm getting ready to publish my second novel this week. This very week. The very week that you're listening to episode 60, I'm about to publish my second novel. The official drop date is going to be March 20th, 2015. I can tell you the day of the week, 
because it's because it's coming up. So it's I, I know what day of the week it is. It's a Friday. So this Friday, March twentieth, two thousand and fifteen, I'm going to be publishing my second novel. That novel is titled "The Vampire, The Hunter, and the Girl," and it is book one of the Vampire and the Hunter trilogy. And if the uh, if the subtitle wasn't enough of a clue, then I'll I'll be extra extra special clear. This is book one of a trilogy, book one of a three book series. And I couldn't be any more excited. Now, just for the benefit of anybody who's listening to this episode in the future, and by future I mean any day after March twentieth, two thousand and fifteen. Um. I hope you got yourself a copy of The Vampire, The Hunter, and The Girl. And more than that, I hope you enjoyed it. Actually, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, A, I hope you got yourself a copy of it. B, I hope you read the copy that you got for yourself. And then finally, C, I hope you enjoyed it. So those three things, uh, I suppose in that order... Although, ultimately, as long as all three things happen, I guess it doesn't really matter what order it happened in. So I'll leave that up to you. I don't, I don't want to get all up in your business. That's the kind of podcaster I am. But one thing I can tell you right now, in the days before my sophomore effort hits the market, is I am really, really fucking nervous. But it's a good nervous, I think. I'm excited more than anything, but I'm still nervous. I was nervous before publishing Inside the Outside, so this isn't a new feeling. But it is it is different this time around. It's 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 not I mean, you know, I mean, you know, nerves, you know, being nervous kind of in general, it kind of feels the same. Like when you're nervous, when you're anxious, when you're feeling kind of scared, it all kind of sort of feels the same. But, you know, if you if you're tuned in, right, if you're if you're tuned in to, to what you're feeling, then uh, then, you know, you can then, you know, the difference, I think. And in my in my case, this is a, I, there's there's a difference that I'm going to uh, attempt to, to articulate to you. See, with Inside the Outside, my anxiety was based on the fear that nobody was going to care. It was based on the fear that nobody was going to care about my book. And it was a, it was a very deep and genuine fear because I'd worked so hard on that book for several years. You know, I'd, I'd cultivated this idea. I'd taken the time to, to write it. I went to the you know, went to my computer every day and I sat down and I wrote and I did research and I wrote and I edited and I revised and I wrote and I and I read and, and you know, just for years and years, you know, worked so terribly hard on it. And, you know, part of the uh, uh, part of the struggle, at least in my case, of writing that novel was was sometimes it was difficult to find the appropriate motivation because nobody knew who I was. Nobody was asking me to write that book. Nobody had any idea, you know, with the exception of, you know, a few friends and, and, and family who knew I was doing it. Nobody even knew I was writing that writing this book. And even those people had no idea 
if this book was even worth my time to sit down and write. And even if I finished it, there was no guarantee that it would ever get published. So, so having said all that, you know, it was very difficult to sit down and write it sometimes. But, you know, ultimately, I would, you know, I, I would just have to have faith that that uh, that there was a place for for this book in the world. That if I sat down and if I wrote it and I finished it, that there'd be a place for it. And I did. I eventually wrote it, and I and I eventually finished it. And then right when I got to the point when it was time to publish it is really when that fear set in. What if nobody cares? Because I didn't really think about that ahead of time. When I was working on it, it was just, just finish the book. Just finish the book and find a place for it in the world. Never occurred to me that people just might not care. And so when it was time to publish it, I was overwhelmed with that fear. And in fact, I mean, the 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 night before the book came out, I I, I was with my mom sitting in the sitting in the in the kitchen in the home that I grew up in. You know, she and I were sitting at the the kitchen table the night before the book came out, and I I remember I very specifically remember saying out loud to my mom as we talked about my book that was getting ready to come out. I said, "What if nobody cares?" But if nobody buys it, you know, and of course, you know, and she was obviously very sweet and supportive and, and my mother. And, and uh, you know, so she said, uh, well, you know, I'm going to buy it. And uh, and and I kind of I mean, she was being serious, but, you know, I think she I think she also was bringing some levity to, to the to the moment. And I said, I know. But I mean, you know, just like out there, out out in the world, what if. What if, you know, what if nobody cares? What if nobody reads it? And, you know, and, and I, and I did all of this, all of this work and, and, and what if this is it? Because here's the thing, there are literally millions of books out in the marketplace. And I mean, literally, I'm I'm not exaggerating. So, so if you're not somebody who's you know, plugged into to the publishing world and you only kind of sort of see books if you pass by a, a Barnes & Noble or or you happen to, to glance at, you know, uh, what, at, at, the, at the book section on Amazon or, or whatever, you, you know, you might not realize the numbers, but, but, you know, there are literally, not figuratively, for the sake of clarity here, literally millions of books out in the marketplace and most of those books purely be, by by the numbers you know there, there's really no other option but most of those books languish in obscurity and they will continue to languish in obscurity for the entirety of their existence and that kind of sucks and it's not because the authors who wrote them didn't care enough about their books and it's not because these books aren't worthy of more attention. It's just because there are so many books and it's really difficult to get readers to pay attention to yours. So especially in my case in 2011, as a first-time author, I was terrified that my book was destined for obscurity. And more than that, I was terrified because... I didn't have any idea 
to stop that from happening. So now four years later, as I say here in March of 2015, and I have the, uh, uh, the pleasure of hindsight working with me, I am, I am just so terribly grateful that inside the outside didn't get lost in oblivion. And I'm so grateful for uh, all the success that it's enjoyed. And I'm so grateful for all the readers who found it and read it and loved it and alleviated so many of those fears that I was feeling, especially when I was sitting in the kitchen with my mom worried about, you know, what's going to happen next? What if nobody cares? And, and just to my, uh, to my great relief and surprise and I don't know, whatever else, just I, I still I still can't really truly wrap my brain around how well the did how well the book did and and how much so many readers liked it and yet you know ha- having having experienced such a such a positive run with inside the outside here I am now at the precipice of publishing. My next novel, The Vampire, The Hunter, and The Girl, book one of the Vampire and the Hunter trilogy, and I'm feeling anxious all over again. But like I said before, it's a different sort of anxiousness that I'm feeling, but it's, it's, it's anxiety all the same. And fear. Just I don't, I don't want there to be any mistake. Like as I, as I get ready to publish this next book, I am really fucking terrified. Which isn't exactly something that that I uh, expected to feel. I kind of thought that maybe, you know, the first book, sure, that makes sense. But after you get the first one under your belt, then then uh, then it's got to be smooth sailing. I don't know. Maybe it is for some authors. I have no idea. But um, not for me, I guess. Because you see, in, in the last four years, through exhausting work and 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 can't put enough of a of a point on this and unreasonably good luck. I've accumulated a very loyal and enthusiastic community of readers who love what I do. And that's just the most amazing feeling in the world. And probably and for me what's what's probably more amazing than that is this community of of readers who who all hang out and exist under under this invisible tent of 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 the writing that I do they don't just exist here in America but they also exist in countries around the world and even just saying that to to be able to say out loud that there are people in different countries all around the world who have read inside the outside and loved it and are looking forward to what I had to do next, I can barely wrap my brain around that idea. I mean, the fact that there are literally parts of the globe where I've never stepped foot, that people have read my novel. That's just a crazy, crazy fucking thought. Because, I mean, you know, I, I, I still remember. what The thing that I remember more clearly than anything else, I think, is is the process of writing it. And when I think about the process of writing anything, let alone inside the outside, uh, I, I picture myself, in, you know, in the, 
in my in my little apartment, sitting in front of my computer, in a in an empty room, which is quiet except for my fingers, you know, punching the the keys and writing a story. And the thing, it's like when you write, well, I don't. Hold on, I don't want to speak for all writers out there because you know I. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm incapable of speaking for all writers, but I'll speak for myself. When I, when I sit and write on my computer, especially when I was writing inside the outside, there's something about, there's something about uh, writing on, on the computer that makes the work I've, that make, that makes the work I was doing feel not special. Even though I was excited about it and even though I was feeling inspired and even though I was very proud of the work that I was doing as I was doing it. There's something about seeing those words appear on the computer that makes them feel very, very, very normal. And, uh, yeah, it could be that, you know, this was the same space where I also typed emails and it's the same place that I also uh, read articles about, uh, the Lakers and read reviews by Roger Ebert on, uh, you know, the, the latest movies coming out. And, and it was just sort of like, you know, it was almost like this, this household appliance, this computer of mine. And it just, I guess there was something about it that just made, you know, writing a story. It was just, it was just, it was just a word document on my computer screen. What can be any, any less special than that? So, so, you know, so then, you know, fast forward, to, to, you know, to, to hear from people, uh, in, you know, uh, all over the country and in, you know, various countries around the world that they read this story that I typed out on this, you know, on my, on my computer, it's, uh, it, it, if you can't tell already, if you, if you can't tell already, it's still something is, 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 is as amazing as it feels and as, as, uh, as exciting as it is and, and as, uh, as, as humbling as it is, it's still something that I, you know, on a daily basis, it's something that I, that I try to wrap my head around. Some days I'm more successful than others, but you know, uh, other days, like in this exact moment that I'm articulating it out loud to you guys, just talking about it doesn't feel real, but it is. And it's the most amazing thing in the world. So the anxiety that I'm feeling now as I prepare to publish my new book, well, that anxiety, it's, again, it's, it's different than the anxiety that I felt with Inside the Outside, but it's, it, it still exists, and, it, and it, it exists in two parts. And I'm going to do my very best to try to uh, articulate what I'm feeling. On the one hand, what I'm feeling is a responsibility to all those amazing and kind and generous readers who purchased my novel and took the time to read it and enjoyed it and made it part of their lives. And, 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 uh, and I guess in, 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 uh, in large part to those readers who, who took the time to contact me, whether it's by Facebook or Twitter or email or, 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 you know, if I, if I met, I met you in person at the library or a bookstore or just, just wherever, you know, uh, 
all all of you people, even if if you if you if you're listening to this episode right now, if you can hear the sound of my voice, and if you read my novel inside the outside, even if you didn't make a point of letting me know, just the fact that you read it, all of you, all of you are so goddamn special to me, and it means so much to me that you supported my book, that you read it, and you enjoyed it, and you supported it, and so. For everything that you guys gave me, everything that you guys gave me with regards to how much you supported Inside the Outside and just my career in general, I feel an overwhelming responsibility to pay that back. And so for me, the way that I pay that back is I want to write another book for you. And I want that book to be every bit as satisfying as Inside the Outside was for you. And hopefully, it'll be even more satisfying. You'll, you'll love it even more. Or at the, very, at the very least, you'll love it the exact same. I'd be fine with that, too. But that's where that first, that first bit of anxiety comes in, that first bit of fear. My, my biggest fear, as I prepare to publish this, this, this next novel of mine, is that you guys are going to be disappointed. I don't want to disappoint you guys. And I worry about that. I worry that, uh, that you know, you're, this book's going to come out and you're going to be excited because you loved Inside the Outside and you're going to buy it and you're going to read it and you're going to think, huh, oh well. At least we love Inside the Outside. Right, something like that, and I don't want that to happen. I want you to, I want you to love it, and I don't want you to love it just because I wrote it and I loved it and all that stuff. But again, like I said, I feel like I, I owe something. I feel like I have to, you know. There's this amazing wave of karma I've been writing for the last four years, and you know, this is an opportunity for me to, 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 to pay some of that back. Now, trust me, I worked extremely hard on this book. And not just this book, but but the trilogy. Uh, the whole trilogy is done. All three books are done. All three books are going to be published this year. Uh, and I'm very excited about that. And I worked extremely hard on all three books. And I did everything I could, absolutely everything I could, to make these books as good and as interesting as and engaging as and 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 as entertaining as I absolutely possibly could. But ultimately, that doesn't really mean much because, you know, however much work I put into it, that doesn't mean that, uh, that you know, that, uh, that the readers won't be disappointed. What I'm, primarily what I'm getting at is it's out of my control. I can't control how readers feel about the book. And so all I can do is offer the book and hope they like it. And so, you know, it's that lack of control that breeds this uh this form of anxiety that I'm that I'm uh that I'm feeling. Now that said, the fact that I have readers at all, the fact that there's people out in the world who I know are going to buy this book and read it and at the very least give it a chance, that's a really wonderful place to start. It's a really amazing and wonderful place to start. 
And I have to consider myself one of the, the, the luckiest writers in the world. The fact that I know that I can put a book out in the world and people are going to read it because not every writer has that luxury. And I know that for a fact because I was one of those writers who didn't have that luxury. Because in 2011, when I put out Inside the Outside, I sat in the kitchen with my mom and that was the fear. What if nobody cares? So now here I am. Here I am bemoaning my fear that what if people don't care enough? Because that's really what I'm saying. Or what if what if people don't care enough? What if they're disappointed? What if what if they read it and um it just has no impact on their life and ultimately they're disappointed? Well, at the root of that fear, or not even the fear, but just, you know, what's beneath the surface, the implication is people will read it. And I know people are going to read it. And that's a wonderful thing. And that, that helps alleviate everything else. Because then I, 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 then I can remind myself, I'm in a very fortunate position as a writer. And I, and I, try, and I very much try not to take that for granted. But like I said, it's a way different spot than I was in four years ago with Inside the Outside. So then the, the other bit of anxiety that I feel, because like I said, the, the anxiety that I'm feeling as I prepare to publish this new book, it, it's twofold. So the, uh, the second fold, if that's the, uh, if that's the appropriate use of that term, I'm not really sure. But the second fold of my anxiety, it, it, it does exist under that umbrella of what if nobody cares? It exists in that same realm. Only it's more, now it's more like, what if I can't build on my previous success? So it's a version, but it's not quite the same. But that's kind of what I'm feeling is, what if I can't build on my previous success? Because you see, the goal for me from the very beginning, before I ever published Inside the Outside, I, you know, I, I spent, you know, countless hours and days and just, just, weeks, months, years, what have you, fantasizing and dreaming and thinking about my publishing career, or at the very least, the publishing career I hoped to have. Because like I said, I had these thoughts before I, I ever published a single book. And so my goal from the beginning was to publish one book at a time and to build my audience one reader at a time to be patient and methodical and take nothing for granted. And that over time, with every book I published, uh, I, would, I would build my readership. And as my, as my library of books grew, my audience would grow. And over time, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever, a lifetime of, of writing and publishing, I would just grow an amazing, wonderful audience who enjoyed the work I was doing. That was always the plan, right? And so I think, you know, as far as that fantasy went, the one of the pieces of uh, information, one of the ideas that I took for granted is that the audience would grow with every book. I mean, it was my fantasy, so it's fair that I, that I assumed the audience would grow with every book. But the truth is that's not guaranteed. Just because inside the outside found an audience doesn't mean that everybody in the audience is going to be on board for the next book. And even more than that, you know, uh, 
part of what I sort of hope for in that in that in that sort of fantasy of mine as I project forward is that you know whatever whatever audience of readers that I've that I've been lucky enough to to have gathered around me that they would love the next book and there'd be new readers to come along and then I'd publish a book after that and I'd have those readers and I'd have more readers right and so it would just extrapolate and grow from there but none of that's guaranteed None of it's guaranteed. And again, it's one of those things that's out of my control. And because it's out of my control, it, you know, I, I'm feeling very anxious about it. And I guess the other thing, I'm, like I said, that I'm, I'm feeling anxious about is I'm not even guaranteed the same audience who read Inside the Outside. And I'm not talking about everybody who read it, because I know everybody who read it didn't love the book. In fact, I know that there was, there's plenty of people who read Inside the Outside who didn't enjoy it. And I know because I've 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 seen reviews and posts and forums and stuff that there's some people who fucking hated inside the outside. So so I I, I have no illusion that those people are going to read the next book, and that's fine. I I you know I wouldn't want them to. I, I mean that's I, that sounded petty. I hope I, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I'd love them to read the new book. I just wouldn't expect them to because why would they? They hated my first book. They have no reason to read the second book. So I'm talking specifically about the people who read Inside the Outside and loved it. Those people, I have no guarantee that I'm going to get all those same people back for for the next book. I hope I do, but I have no idea. But I do, I do feel confident saying there will be people for the next book. And so for those people who do read the next book... You know, there's going to be times where I know, because I know kind of how my head works, where I'm going to have to talk myself down from the ledge, especially if I if I start obsessing over how well the book is or isn't doing. And I just have to remind myself to be grateful for every individual person who took time and money out of their out of their pockets to buy my book and took the the time to read the book. And if I'm being totally honest here, and you know what what what's the point of sitting here in front of the microphone chatting with you guys if I'm not willing to be totally honest? The truth is, if I'm being totally completely honest, I'm gonna be horribly disappointed if I'm unable to build on the success of inside the outside in a significant way. I mean, you know, I'll be happy, I'll be grateful if I get. If I get the exact same number, I have no, I have, I don't have a, like a chart, so I have no idea. There's no way I'll, I'll ever know. But theoretically, if I got the exact same number of people who read Inside the Outside and enjoyed it to read The Vampire, The Hunter, and The Girl and enjoy that book, I would be grateful and I'd be happy that the readers came back and I'd be happy that they that they read the book and that they enjoyed it. But if I'm unable to build on the success of Inside the Outside in, in a significant way, I'm going to be disappointed. And that's just the truth. But again, like I said, I mean, I, I, I know that the, the, the anxiety stems from these things being out of my control. Because, you know, those things that are in my control, I control them fiercely. You know, I can 
I can write the books. I can I can develop the story. I can cultivate the story. I can work on the characters. I can develop them. I can I can build the scenes. I can create the setting. I can I can create the tension. Uh, uh, when you know when when the books are are ready, it's completely in my power as to you know who's going to design the covers and what the, the covers look like and who's going to design the inside of the book and. There's, you know, there's a million things that are, that are, that, that are absolutely in my control. And those things that are in my control, like I said, I control them fiercely. And, and when I control those things, I feel really great serenity. I feel a great calmness because these things are in my control. The quality of these things are in my control. And so I control them and I feel good about it. And when I can't control these things, the anxiety in my head and everything just kind of gets out of control. And so, again, I can't control who's going to read the book. I can't control who's going to love the book or hate the book. I can't control, you know, how well the book does as far as sales go and as far as reviews go. And, and you know, and, and that's cool. That's part, that's part of the journey. That's the thing. That's, it's, it's part of the journey. And, uh, and that's cool. That's all right. It probably sounds like I'm trying to talk myself into that being all right, which I guess I kind of am. Uh, but anyway, whatever. At the end of the day, I can write the books and I can do everything I can to make them fun and engaging and entertaining. Uh, and I, I can, I can, I can turn over uh, every every stone and I can exhaust every option and I can do everything within my power. But at the end of the day, I can't make people read the book, and I most definitely can't make people care. And I guess, I guess even if I could do those things, I mean, what good would it be, you know? You don't want to make somebody do anything. Part of the joy of, of the people who, who enjoyed Inside the Outside was, uh, was it was out of my control. And they read these books because, you know, or they read that book because they wanted to and they enjoyed it because that's what they felt. And that's, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's part of what made that experience so good. So I decided to sort of, you know, as much anxiety as I feel now, you know, I just have to hold out hope that there's going to be some similar good experiences waiting for me on the other side. And I guess, real, I mean, yeah, that's that, what makes this whole publishing game so exciting, you know, is is I can do all the work and then I just I, I, I put the book out into the world and then and then we see what happens. It's not exactly like, you know, gambling at the craps table in Vegas or something like that. But, you know, it's it's still to a certain degree, it, it feels like that gamble of, okay, I've done everything I can. Now I'm just going to, I'm going to put it out into the world and we're just going to see. And it's scary, but it's also exciting. And truthfully, I'm just happy to be in the game as far as publishing goes because there were a lot of years where I was on the outside looking in and I was hoping against hope that I would see just one of my novels published. Just one. And now here I am in 2015 and I'm getting ready to publish my second, third, and fourth novels. All in the same year. And that's amazing. And there's a very specific reason why I'm able to do that. Independent publishing. The reason 
I'm about to publish my second, third, and fourth novels is because of the phenomenon that is known as independent publishing. Now, because of independent publishing, the larger world of corporate publishing has come to be known as traditional publishing, where, you know, once upon a time, it was just called publishing because it was the only it was the only way to get published. Um, but now, because of independent publishing, we call it we call, you know, the. Well, I was going to say we call the traditional form of publishing traditional publishing, but we call it traditional publishing as a means of uh, differentiating it. And, I mean, you know, the end result is the same. You know, the end result is, you know, putting books out into the world. Uh, but it's it's the process that, that uh, differentiates, you know, traditional publishing from independent publishing. And so for for authors like myself who wanted to be published – you know, once upon a time, back in the day, if you will, the only reasonable way to get published was through traditional publishing. Now, I don't expect everybody listening to me right now to have a complete handle on exactly how the, the publishing process works, especially where it concerns traditional publishing. Um, but in general, just, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar, to give you an idea, in general... Uh, getting published with a traditional publisher generally involves being represented by a literary agent. And then that literary agent will take your manuscript and they'll, they'll shop it around and ultimately, you know, try to sell your book to a publisher, uh, preferably one of the big five corporate publishers in New York. But even just getting a literary agent... And those of you who are writers and either have an agent or have endeavored to get an agent, you know exactly what I'm about to, you know exactly what I'm about to say is true, that even getting a literary agent is an amazingly difficult task. Getting a literary agent is a long, hard battle that, for me personally, I never, it was a battle that I never succeeded in winning. Never got myself a literary agent. Don't have one now either. The closest I came uh, to to getting a literary agent was in 2005. And so in 2005, it was the first time that I, that I actually met a literary agent in the flesh. It was at the Squaw Valley Community of Writers, which is a, it's a wonderful uh, writer's retreat, I guess, is kind of what you would call it. Um, happens annually, you know, in, you know, once a year in the summertime. It's a week long. So I attended the Squaw Valley Community of Writers in 2005, and um, I met an agent while I was there. And the agent took a liking to me, and he wanted to read my first book, which I was working on at the time. Uh, it was not Inside the Outside. But it was a book called, or it was a book that I called The Wishing Game. And uh, I, I eventually finished that book. I never published it. It's, it's sitting on my computer. It's in my hard, di- my hard drive collecting dust as we speak. But it exists. And, uh, and so when I finished it, 
you know, I, I sent I sent the book off to New York for this literary agent to read because, you know, he that was his request. And. Well, you know, I mean, part of the, part of that story is I sent the book way too soon. The agent had the foresight because, you know, I was a young, hungry writer and I'm sure he could see that. So he had the foresight to give me the the, the very gentle and well-meaning warning to take my time. He knew the book wasn't done because I told him, told him as much. So he said, you know, take your time. But when the book is ready, I'd like to read it. So when I got home from that writer's retreat, I did the exact opposite. I did not take my time. Uh, I finished the book as quickly as I could, which in this case was somewhere in the area of about two to three weeks. And then I mailed it off to this literary agent in New York. And uh, on my birthday, I got a letter from him in the mail. And I'm going to read his response to you right now. Dear Martin, I apologize for taking so long to get back to you, but I wanted time to read The Wishing Game and to give it to one of my colleagues to read as well. Your writing is graceful, and in particular, I like your narrator. He is a sympathetic character, and it's easy to see myself in him, not that I frequent strip bars. However, considering how hard it is to sell fiction these days, I am not positive that your plot is compelling enough, has enough narrative drive to make your novel stand out. And in this business, I have to absolutely be sure about something before I agree to take it on. Regrettably, I'm going to pass on the opportunity to work with you. But keep in mind that this is only one opinion among many in a very subjective business. I wish you all the best in your pursuit of, for representation. Sincerely. And then he signed his name. And, you know, I was fucking heartbroken. I was absolutely and completely devastated. Because I, I I put everything into this. I I worked on this book. I'd been At this point, I'd been writing for several years. And I'd been dreaming about one day being a published author and then I go to this writer's retreat and I, I meet this agent and he, you know, he likes what I'm doing and he wants to read my book. And in my mind, it was the fairy tale. Everything was falling into place the way it was supposed to. And then I get this, I get this letter on my birthday, you know, the, the fact that I got it on my birthday, I, I assumed that this was just one more positive sign and a, and a series of positive signs. And then, you know, he, uh, uh, and, and, you know, I, 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 I went to, I went to a gas station and I, and I read, I, re- I read the letter and, it, you know, alone in my car in a gas station. Cause in my mind, this was, my whole life was about to change. And so I needed, I needed to, I needed some time alone to, to really take it in. And then I would share the good news with everybody. And then there I was sitting alone in my car in a gas station crying because my heart had been broken. And I, and you know, especially in retrospect, I don't take it personally. He didn't, it wasn't, there was nothing personal about him rejecting my book. You know, he, he's in the, he's in the business of, of getting books published. And as he said in the letter, you know, if, if he's not sure, 
he can make that happen and he you know he won't take a book on and beyond that his letter was it was it was very kind and it was a very generous letter because you know in in the in, in later years most of my interactions with literary agents came in the form of pre-written form letters and uh you know most of the time they weren't even signed sometimes they were just they were just postcards that said essentially thanks but no thanks and you knew, and you know and you knew that they never actually read the book or you know read uh even the first couple of pages that I might have sent if if uh if that's what they requested and it was a it was a very frustrating road to travel and i and i traveled that road for several years until the uh the the frustration was enough and i decided that i didn't want to be on that road any longer so i took the leap and i bypassed the road of traditional publishing and i entered the world of independent publishing and i haven't looked back since and uh, i can tell you without question that uh professionally speaking it's the best decision i ever made absolutely the best decision i i ever made and uh and i don't regret it not one bit not even a little now back in 2011 after i published inside the outside in the weeks that followed the publication of my debut novel i worked passionately and exhaustively at promoting it now as far as marketing and promotion goes especially as far as uh, marketing and promoting a book i have no formal education or background or or training at all and so it's it's every day it's something that i work at and every day it's something i i try to get better at and uh i definitely feel uh more comfortable with with doing that sort of thing today than I did in 2011, but it doesn't change the fact that every every day it's it it just feels like a uh, like I'm like I'm trying to solve a Rubik's cube or or something. You know, there's uh, every now and then there's there's small victories, but uh, you know, ultimately it is just like just like so much of publishing in general. You know, you you just sort of it sort of feels like you fail way more than you succeed but in those successes you know there's there's lessons to be learned so i try to you know try to take all that stuff in now again as far as inside the outside goes about two weeks after publishing inside the outside uh during my efforts to uh market and promote it i found a website called selfpublishingreview.com and even though you know i i'd walked away from that road of of uh traditional publishing or at the very least that road of trying to get my book traditionally published i still had some residual anger and frustration from all of my wasted years of trying to infiltrate that world that world of traditional publishing and so i decided to focus those feelings you know that that those feelings of of anger and frustration into an article which I called the self-published author's manifesto. And I submitted that article to selfpublishingreview.com. And on July 27th, 2011, my article was featured 
on the front page of their website. And it got a whole lot of attention. Much of the attention that it received was very positive. I heard uh, I heard from a, a lot of writers who, you know, uh, felt vindicated by uh, by the words I shared in that article. But there were also plenty of people who did not like nor did they appreciate what I had to say. A lot a lot of the conversation actually happened in the in the comments section. It was a very turned out to be a very active comment section. I sort of unintentionally set off a um at the very least a a small controversy. I you know, it, I don't it's not even that I set off a controversy. I just clearly touched a nerve. I clearly tapped into something that that uh that a lot of a lot of people were feeling, not just me. And so, uh, so you know, I mean, you can check it out. You can check it out today. You can go right now to the website and check it out. And I'm sure the I'm sure you can still read all of the comments in there. Now, ultimately, before I submitted it to selfpublishingreview.com, I you know I had written a longer version of it. So the one that I submitted, I had trimmed it down because I, I wasn't sure if it was going to be too long for them or anything like that. But I always had the longer version. So a few months later, on January 17th, 2012, on my on my personal website, martinlistraps.com, I published the, the full unedited version of, of the article. But I changed the title. So before it was called a self-published author's manifesto. And if you find it on my website, it's called an indie author's manifesto. And I have my reasons for why I changed the name, but I'll explain them to you in, a, in just a little bit. But for now, what I'd like to do is I want to read to you this, uh, the, the article in question, the article that, that set off a, a firestorm in the comments section and, to a lesser degree, on, on Facebook from selfpublishingreview.com, an indie author's manifesto. So here you go. I am an indie author, and this is my manifesto. If you are a reader, a simple lover of books, someone with no aspirations of ever writing or publishing, then there is a very good chance you are unaware of the culture war that has been going on within the world of publishing for what feels like forever. The wars between the large publishing houses, primarily found in New York, and indie authors, for almost as long as the publishing industry has been a relevant cog in the entertainment machine, publishing houses have served the purpose of finding, publishing, and essentially delivering to the literary world the best authors they could find. But they didn't do this alone. Literary agents, who not only represent authors but also serve as gatekeepers for the large publishing houses, helped them. Most any writer who has ever aspired to get published has learned the hard way that finding a literary agent to represent you is arguably harder than actually getting your manuscript accepted for publication by a large publishing house. And this is not by accident. As gatekeepers, the literary agents weed out the bad talent and wrangle in the good talent, making it easier for the large publishing houses to pick which handful of writers they'll be publishing during any given year. As someone who has been rejected by more agents than I care to count, 
I have a pretty good grasp on how the system is intended to work. First, the author writes a manuscript, i.e. a novel, a memoir, a collection of short stories, etc. Once they finish, the author writes a query letter, which is essentially a one-page pitch to a literary agent. In the query letter, the writer should not only tell the literary agent what their book is about, but also why anybody would bother reading it, or more importantly, buying it. This last part is important, because agents earn money on commission, which means they only get paid if they can sell your book. So even if they personally love the book, but don't think they can sell it, they aren't going to represent you. If the agent likes what you're pitching in the query letter, then they'll likely ask you to send them the first 10 to 15 pages. If they like those pages, then they'll likely ask for a partial, which are the first 50 pages. If they're still satisfied with what they're reading, then they'll ask to see the full manuscript. After looking at it, they will either decide to represent your book or reject it. There is also the possible middle ground where they might ask you to make revisions to the book that will, in their estimation, make it more attractive to publishers. And even if you've gotten this far, and the literary agent decides to represent you, it's going to take nearly a year, sometimes longer, before you come to that agreement. Of course, getting a literary agent is no guarantee of getting published. They still have to try and sell your manuscript to a publishing house. There are plenty of authors who have secured literary agents only to find out that the agent couldn't sell their books. But if you are one of those rare authors who have cleared all the hurdles and have had your book published by a large publishing house, one of the first things you will learn is that you're going to be on your own when it comes to promoting and marketing the book. Publishing houses have limited budgets for marketing their authors, and first-time authors aren't likely to get much support. Ironically, if your book doesn't sell, then the publisher will be less likely to buy your next book. So if you are that first-time author, you're going to have to do some significant legwork. From creating a presence on the internet to setting up readings and book signings, which is fine, especially if you're serious about your writing and want to make a career of it. And while you're putting in this work... It might occur to you that since you're doing all the legwork yourself, what's to stop you from publishing yourself? Up to now, the main thing stopping you was the stigma of being an indie author. By having agents, editors, and publishers making it so hard to break into the publishing world, it creates the perception that only the very best authors get their work published. This perception has put a stigma on indie authors, a stigma akin to taking your cousin to the prom. The impression is, if you weren't good enough to get published through a traditional publisher, then you must not be a very good writer. And the publishing houses have benefited from this, because it means they haven't had to compete with indie authors. While it's always been tough to make money selling books, considering Americans aren't generally keen on reading, the major publishing houses, in the face of a struggling economy, have been hurting more than usual. In their desperation to sell books, which, mind you, is a totally reasonable desperation, the major publishers have invested more and more money into selling personalities rather than authors. This means when you walk into a bookstore, you're more likely to see a book written by a reality TV star or a trendy politician. 
Even actors and recording artists are publishing novels. All of this is fine, except that if you're a major publishing house, you now have little to no money left to invest in first-time authors. Not to mention the fact that they're a risky investment, unlike a celebrity who has name recognition and a built-in fan base. This all makes sense from a business standpoint, but what if you're a writer who has dedicated years and years of your life to learning and honing your craft? Are you supposed to just accept that some contemporary pop star and their ghostwriter have a book published and you don't? You can keep knocking on the door of the literary agents and the big publishing houses. Heck, you can even try the small publishing houses, but they can't afford to take a chance on you. The best option for you, then, is to become an indie author and publish your book yourself. Except there's that stigma about indie authors that hasn't quite gone away. Only now there is progress being made in eradicating the stigma. A big part of the stigma being eliminated is technology. Now more than ever, it's easier for an author to publish their work without having to go through a large publishing house. Especially with the growing market of ebooks, indie authors are seeing their books being sold side by side with traditionally published books. And if you are a reader, chances are you're not making any great distinctions between independently published books and traditionally published books. You're just happy to find a book that entertains you while you were tanning by the pool or waiting for your doctor's appointment. So if the readers aren't holding on to this stigma, then where exactly is it coming from? Primarily, it's coming from the writers themselves. But it's not their fault. If you're a writer who's been working at getting published for at least the last 10 years or so, and for most writers it's much longer than that, then you've more than likely bought into the stigma. You're a writer who, despite all the hard work you've put into your writing, feels like your work can only be validated by going through the traditional system of acquiring a literary agent and selling your book to a major publisher. You would just as soon let your brilliant work go unread on your hard drive or your freezer, depending on how long you've been writing, before becoming an indie author. You've dreamed of signing books in Barnes & Noble and doing readings at universities, giving interviews on morning talk shows and whisking around the country on national book tours. The stigma tells you that indie authors don't get to do these things. And for the most part, it's true. But neither do most traditionally published authors either. More and more quality authors are figuring this out, and the world of independent publishing is benefiting from it. Just because the large New York publishing houses are publishing fewer and fewer quality authors doesn't mean there are no quality authors out there. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And just because these authors aren't being published doesn't mean they simply go away. Many of them are discovering that independent publishing is a viable option. The more quality writers who enter into the world of independent publishing, the more credible it becomes. Even J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter dynasty, has turned to independent publishing. Now, why would she do that? There is not a publisher anywhere in the world who wouldn't kill to have Rowling on their roster of authors. And that's exactly the point. From a business standpoint, Rowling stands to earn more money by publishing independently, rather than sharing her literary fortune with a traditional publisher. Business-wise, this is true even for the relatively unknown indie author. 
whatever advance you get from a traditional publisher, in all likelihood, is going to be the same amount of money you stand to earn on your own if you have a quality book and are willing to work hard to find and connect with readers. Which is to say, all the things you'd be doing anyway if you take your writing seriously. So if you're a writer out there who is tired of being rejected, don't fret. Just publish your work yourself. If you're a large publishing house doing business as usual, good luck to you. You're a business and you're simply trying to stay viable. I can appreciate that. And if you're a writer or a publisher or anybody who is still holding on to or perpetuating the stigma of independent publishing, let it go. Release it from your grip and accept the dawning of a new era. A better one, even. I am an indie author, and this is my manifesto. And there it is. So that was the article that I that I had uh, published and featured on uh, selfpublishingreview.com. An indie author's manifesto. Uh, it's funny, you know, looking over it again with you guys, because to, to be honest with you, as I read it to you just now, that that was it's probably the first time in I don't know how long. It's been a very long time since I've actually looked at that article. And um it's kinda like going back in a time machine, remembering all the things I was feeling when I when I wrote it. And um overall I still very much uh stand by everything I wrote in there. I don't I don't uh you know with hindsight, I, I don't uh I don't have any 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 different feelings or even any regrets about writing it. I'm very happy that I wrote it and offered those ideas out uh, out in the world. One thing that I think is uh, more different today in 2015 than when I wrote it in 2011 is the the stigma that I talked about in the article. The stigma of of indie authors or self published authors. I'm going to talk about how I distinguish those two terms in just a second. But the stigma. It you know it, I think it still exists in small parts, but in very very large parts, it's 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 gone away. If it's not if if it's not altogether gone, and I think there's any number of reasons for it, but um, I think a big part of it is just time. That there's just been so many, so many authors that have gone into the world the world of publishing their own work. They've gone into self publishing, indie publishing. Again, you know the 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 terms are essentially synonymous, but all you know. I'll explain my distinction in just a moment, but there's so many authors, you know, entering that world. And so many of those authors are, are talented and they're doing such great, wonderful quality work uh, that readers, especially, especially I think in my estimation, new readers, you know, they're, they're not distinguishing between, between uh, the traditionally published authors and indie authors. They just, they're, you know, and, and I said as much in, in the article, but I think it's even more true today that uh, as the stigma is slowly going away and as all authors are sort of being accepted by readers on a, on a pretty even, even playing field, um, it's because uh, the readers aren't, aren't they, you know, they're not making it a distinction. And that's great. Now, as far as the term self-published go, which was, when, which was in the original title, originally it was a self-published author's manifesto, and then I changed it to an indie author's manifesto. Uh, the reason I changed it is from my point of view and my estimation, the term self-published 
carried with it too many negative connotations, even if those negative connotations were only in my head, they exist. They existed strongly enough that I decided to to change change the title. Even even when I first published the article on on self publishing review, you know, for me the term self published still had that stigma. Still had you know that the kind the, the negative connotations of that stigma, you know, attached to it. And um, and so I basically I wanted to get away from it. I wanted to get away from that term because my fear was, you know, any association I had with that term self-published or self-publishing, you know, it was going to put me in too close of a proximity with those negative connotations. And I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to get away from that. You know, part of my, part of my rationale for, for changing it at all is for me, I, I think, you know, writing and especially publishing, it's, it's uh, one of the only art forms that the, the artist is penalized for for being entrepreneurial and publishing their work themselves. And it, you know, and as I said a few minutes ago, that's it it is changing, but it, to a certain degree it still it still kind of exists. And so I replaced the term self-published with indie. Because you know, indie, it's a term that does not have it's not loaded with as much negative connotations and uh you know indie anytime you apply indie before any art form it you know it it kind of it sort of right off the bat kind of lets the the audience know what's happening whether you're talking about uh an indie an indie rock band an indie musician an indie filmmaker you know uh any sort of you know indie artist kind of makes sense so an indie author it kind of has that it has that nice, cool, just, you know, I'm just an artist who's working independently of the, you know, the larger corporate versions of, of uh, you know, of a, uh, of this form, I guess. And, and so, you know, I, like when I looked at filmmakers, because again, I, I've, I've talked at length before on this podcast, how much I love film and how much of my, 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 my writing and storytelling and, and all that is affected by, by films. So, so when I or anybody, you know, when I look at a filmmaker, and when somebody is an ind- an independent filmmaker, like uh, Quentin Tarantino or uh, Spike Lee, or um, fuck, I'm trying to think of the dude who made the, who made The Dark Knight, and all of a sudden I can't think of his name, but but you know that guy, you know they were they're all. Uh, uh, at the very least, they all got themselves started as as independent filmmakers, and so nobody calls them, you know, self-produced filmmakers. Uh, they call them independent filmmakers, and and more than that, you know, it's uh, the work they do. It's it's respected, it's uh, it's highly regarded, and there's a certain level of of uh, esteem that comes with that, because to 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 go through the work and the effort to. Uh, so to make your own movie shows a, an amazing level of entrepreneurial spirit, uh, very much a, an amazing depth of, of go get them, for lack of a, a more eloquent term. But, uh, but you know, again, they're seen in high regard. And yet, when that same lens is put on writers, that far too often when a writer decides to publish their own book... They're not given that same level of 
of esteem or they're not given that same level of respect. And it's, it's just far too often it's looked on as, Oh, I guess, uh, I guess you were, I guess you just weren't good enough. Cause if you were good enough, a major publisher would have published you, but since you're not good enough, you had to put out your book, your yourself. Oh, well, well, that's too bad. And so, yeah, so that's the reason that I tried to distance myself from that term self-publishing or self-published and, and, uh, however much of it was in my power, I tried to steer it towards, towards indie. And, you know, if I had conversations with people, if they use the term self-published or self-publishing or whatever, I never made a point of correcting them. Cause again, there's no, we're, we're talking about the same thing. I just preferred the, or the, the, the term indie. And I still do prefer the term indie. Although one thing I can say that today in 2015, um, the term self-published or self-publishing, it, it really doesn't bother me at all today. N- you know, uh, especially not as much as it did in 2011. But that said, I still, for me, indie is my is my preferred term when I when I refer to my my writing and my in my publishing career. But regardless of my own point of views, regardless of my own of my own preferences, that the beauty of all of this is that in 2015, as this indie revolution continues to rapidly shift the paradigm of the publishing world. And whether whether you see it or whether you don't, then just take my word for it. It is changing, and it's changing rapidly, and it is ultimately changing for for the better. Most readers and a whole lot of the writers, especially new writers that are that are coming into it, they don't really make much of a distinction between indie and traditional. And for my money, that's great. That's wonderful. That's exactly the way it should be. Um, but there are still. That said, there are still a lot of authors who do make the distinction, and they'd much rather be traditionally published, and they would prefer never to self-published. And ultimately, that's their prerogative, and I don't begrudge them their point of view, not even a little bit. But what I know for me is that being an indie author, and by extension, an indie publisher, it's open doors for me that never would have been available had I not self-published my novel inside the outside. And one of the best experiences that I've had as an author was being invited to give the keynote address at the Inlandia Institute's Indie Authors Fair on March 8, 2014. Now, in preparation for giving this keynote address, which, again, I was just amazingly grateful and and humbled and to a, a larger degree surprised that they'd reached out and asked uh asked me to give this keynote address um but as i prepared for for giving this keynote address i wrote down i essentially wrote i wrote the speech that i wanted to give i knew what i wanted to say but i still you know i still took the time to write it down to to really sort of articulate my ideas and structure structure them and and uh and uh, make sure that uh, everything I wanted to say was there and in the, in the order that I wanted to say, you know, all that stuff that you do when you, when you're preparing to, to speak in front of a, an audience. But what I found is when I practiced my speech, that having, having the notes in front of me was a lot more distracting than, than I liked. So, uh, so I, I, I put in a little bit of time and effort and I, I memorized the speech. And on the, on the day that, uh, on the day of the, the indie authors fair at, at the opening when I when I gave the keynote address, I delivered it straight from my memory. And 
more than that, and really probably more importantly than that, I delivered it straight from my heart. However sappy or corny that sounds, it's, it's the absolute truth. But that said, like I said, I did write it down, and I did save that written version. And I posted that I posted the, the written version of my keynote address on my website, martinlestraps.com, on March 27th, 2014, so a couple weeks after the actual uh, the Indie Authors Fair, I, I posted my, my speech, my keynote address. And if you'll bear with me, I'd like to read you that keynote address right now. Hello and welcome to the 2014 Indie Authors Fair. My name is Martin Lestraps, and it's a terrific honor for me to be here this afternoon talking to you as a representative of the indie author community. I'm very proud to be an indie author, and by extension, an independent publisher. But there was a time in my life where being an indie author was absolutely the last thing I ever wanted to be. When I was coming up as an aspiring author in college, the predominant ethos was that quote-unquote, real authors didn't go the route of independent publishing. In order for your work to be taken seriously, it had to be published traditionally. Traditional publishing, as I suspect many of you already know, starts with procuring the services of a literary agent. That agent will then shop your work around to publishers, in particular the big five publishing houses in New York, until they secure you a book deal. For me and every other writer I knew, this was the dream. And in 2005, I came face-to-face with my dream when I had the opportunity to meet an actual literary agent in the flesh. You have to realize, for me, that was sort of like meeting Santa Claus or Batman. I met him at the Squaw Valley Community of Writers. He was leading a workshop I'd taken part in. Afterwards, he asked to speak to me. He told me he really liked what I had to say during the workshop, and then he asked if I was working on anything. I let him know that I was in the middle of writing my first novel, and then I proceeded to give what I imagine was the worst pitch in the whole history of pitches. Even I wouldn't have read this book, and I was writing it. The agent was very nice, and he could tell I was nervous, so he told me that when the book was done, he'd love to read it. I felt like I had just won the lottery. I just knew it was only a matter of time before I saw my novel on bookshelves and went on a national book tour and did interviews on Good Morning America and spent time on the New York Times bestseller list and attended the Academy Awards where I accepted the award for Best Adapted Screenplay because the studio who optioned my book insisted I write the script. I finished the book two weeks later and shipped it off to New York, and then I waited for what felt like forever to get a reply. In reality, I only waited two months, but it was the longest two months I'd ever experienced. Then the letter finally arrived, and it didn't arrive on just any day, it arrived on my birthday. My birthday! Even before I opened the letter, I knew this was a good omen. I decided that I wanted to open the letter in private, so I didn't tell anybody I'd received it. I got in my car, and I went to a nearby gas station. I sat in my car in the gas station parking lot with the letter in hand, knowing that as soon as I opened it, My whole life would never be the same. In the letter, the literary agent said some very nice things about my writing and my book before ultimately telling me that he would not be taking me on as a client. I was heartbroken 
and I don't mind telling you that I shed more than a few tears as I sat alone in my car in that gas station parking lot. Soon enough, despite the disappointment, I decided to move forward and contact more literary agents, and in the process I collected more rejection letters. Many, many rejection letters. After about a year and a half of getting rejections, I decided maybe it just wasn't a good enough novel. So I started writing a new novel. And after spending a few years writing it, I began querying agents. And this new novel, which I was terribly proud of, also received rejection letters. Many, many rejection letters. It could have been that I simply wasn't a good writer and didn't deserve to be published. But even if that was true, it wasn't something I was willing to accept. But at the rate I was collecting rejections, I couldn't imagine ever being published. And that was another reality I couldn't accept. The only other reasonable option seemed to be independent publishing. And that was yet another reality I wasn't willing to accept. Of course, of those three options, the latter was the only one that offered me a guaranteed path to publication. But I was still holding on to that fear that my work would be stigmatized, that it wouldn't be taken seriously if it wasn't published traditionally. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do, and consequently, I found myself at a crossroads. The event that changed everything for me occurred on a Wednesday night in the summer of 2009. I went to see a stage production of the play Hedwig and the Angry Inch. It was a small production that took place in a small theater in Santa Ana, It was hardly even a theater so much as a small concrete room with enough seats for about 30 or 40 audience members. And there wasn't so much a stage as there was a designated corner of the concrete room where the players performed the play. The star of the play was an actor whose name, unfortunately, I don't remember, but he was absolutely fantastic. He put on a world-class performance. I would put his performance up against anybody who's ever won an Academy Award or an Emmy Award, or a Tony Award. He was just that amazing. And more than that, his performance affected me deeply. It was one of those truly transcendent experiences you get when you see a brilliant artist exercising their craft. But he wasn't performing in Hollywood or on Broadway. He wasn't in movie theaters or television screens. He was in a small concrete theater in the middle of Santa Ana on a Wednesday night, performing for about 30 people. But none of that made his performance any less brilliant. And more importantly, it didn't make my enjoyment of it any less. I realized that night that all those fantasies I'd had about book tours and Oscars and Good Morning America had nothing to do with why I ever wanted to be a writer in the first place. I wanted to be a writer because I loved telling stories. And all I really wanted was an audience for that. I decided that when I felt my novel was ready, I'd publish it myself. I realized that it didn't matter how my book entered the world, just so long as it got there. And even if only one reader ever discovered it and was affected the same way I was affected by that actor's performance, then it'd have to be worth it. It'd have to be. Two years later, in the summer of 2011, I officially published my first novel, Inside the Outside. Within about a week of its publication, it was on Amazon's bestseller list. 
the reviews that came in from readers and critics were overwhelmingly positive. By 2012, Inside the Outside began winning awards, including the grand prize and the Paris Book Festival. I saw my picture in the newspaper, and I started getting invited to speak at high schools and universities and libraries and even prisons. Readers all over the world began discovering my book, and today some of my most enthusiastic fans are in Canada and France and Italy and England and Ireland and Australia. Just this past January, Inside the Outside officially became a number one bestseller on Amazon. It was also number one on Barnes & Noble's horror list, and it was number two in horror in the iTunes bookstore. Stephen King was number one there, so I can live with that. I remember looking at the list and seeing Stephen King at number one, and me at number two, and I had this fantasy where he was looking at the same list and wondering, who the hell is Martin Lestraps? Even being here today, and having the wonderful honor of being able to speak to you all, was made possible because I decided to become an indie author. It was without question the best decision I ever made, and I've never spent one moment regretting it. And the true beauty of independent publishing is there's no reason that anybody in this room can't do the same thing I did. Because of independent publishing, these opportunities are available to all of us. I want to thank you all so much for listening to my story. And from the bottom of my heart, I want to wish you all nothing but the best of luck with your writing careers. Thank you. And that was my speech. And that was... Uh, ultimately the the beginning of a really, really amazing day for me. Because after I gave the speech and after, as, as the fair kind of got rolling, I got to meet and talk with so many wonderful people, uh, many of them writers, uh, both published writers and some of them aspiring writers. And all of them expressed just the most wonderful and amazing gratitude towards me for for sharing my story with them and uh, sharing the experience of my journey on the road to publication. And so back in 2011, when I was overwhelmed with fear and anxiety about publishing Inside the Outside, I couldn't have imagined there'd be a day where uh, I'd be asked to give a speech about the very journey I was about to embark on, and that there'd be so many other writers who would draw inspiration from my journey. I still can't hardly believe that any of it's true. And so now here I am, only days away from publishing my second novel, and I can't help but realize it's kind of silly to be scared. Truly, the journey is its own reward. And uh, at this moment, at this moment, I, um, I'm genuinely excited about the mysteries that the future holds. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. Uh, before I before I get out of here, I want to remind you, if you have any shopping to do, you should go to Amazon.com. But before you go to Amazon, go to the official website of this podcast, martinlestrapshow.com. Click on the shop page. You're going to find an Amazon banner. Click on that banner. And then any shopping you do at Amazon, Amazon's going to kick back a few pennies our way. And then what we get to do is take those pennies and reinvest them into this show 
And that helps us make this podcast as good as we can possibly make it for you, which is exactly what we strive to do week after week. Also, if you're not already subscribed on iTunes, please subscribe to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour on iTunes. Uh, And while you're there, please leave a review. That'd be awfully kind of you, and I would appreciate it a great deal. Uh, If you're not an iTunes listener per se, then you can also listen to the show on Stitcher Radio, which you'll find at stitcher.com. You don't have to subscribe or anything, but if you do subscribe to Stitcher, then you can bookmark the show, and that'll make it easier for you to find in the future. And in general, again, this is because this is a very big and exciting week for me. Uh, I announced the publication date just a couple of days ago. And so over the last uh, couple of days since I announced that date, I've been overwhelmed by the, by, the, by, by the amazing response and how excited so many people are that, uh, that I'm finally putting out my, my next novel. And so, uh, I don't know, this is, it is, it's, it's, this is such an exciting time for me and this is such an exciting week for me. And um, while I began this episode talking about you know, the anxiety I was feeling and the the fear I was feeling. I got to be honest with you. Maybe it's just because I sat here talking to you for the last hour and a half, but uh, right this second, I feel pretty fucking good. And I feel nothing but uh, but optimism and excitement about what's to come with this new novel of mine. So until next time, I will see you on the other side. Thank you.